Hello and welcome, you're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we're your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, we're back with episode number 25, and we're back in our happy place. We're back in the parks today. We are back in the parks. I've been waiting for this. I love the parks. I love that we're back. And to really bring us uh, back to our happy place here is Taylor, our co-host. She is back on the pod. Taylor, how are you doing? Hi, everyone. Have you uh, visited the parks lately by any chance, Taylor? I went in December, I think. Uh, you know, I had a, like a, a three-day, four-day streak in the holiday season. It was really fun. Well, that is much more recent than me, so you've got me beat there. We are talking Fantasyland today. Best Fantasyland attraction. But before we get any further, we've got to talk about our spoonfuls of sugar. Kyle, what have you got cooked up for us today? It's a uh, Saturday morning. I'm going to peel back the curtain a little bit. And so I have came prepared with a mimosa. I feel like mimosas in Fantasyland go hand in hand. I don't know why. I feel like it's very classy. Fantasyland's very classy. You have a castle, very royal. I'm here with my mimosa in a uh, Joe Thornton. Jumbo class. Joe mimosa. Oh, yeah. We're doing it. Chris, what are you drinking? I uh, went a little bit off-brand here. The Busch Gardens Tampa Food and Wine Festival took place last week, uh, and I took something off of their menu. It's the Iron Gawazi Gimlet. Iron Gawazi, a new RMC hybrid coaster coming to that park. Busch Gardens and SeaWorld, both owned by the Blackstone Group, and they've really stepped away from the animal stuff as well they should. They're really up in their game on thrill rides, roller coasters. They're going to be debuting a massive, massive project this summer. So uh, this drink is supposed to commemorate that. Um a gimlet is traditionally gin and lime, and this drink has neither gin nor lime, so <laughs> not really sure why they called it a gimlet, but uh, it's got Kirby and rum, pomegranate juice, and pineapple juice. Hmm. Extremely basic. It, it feels like something we'd make at summer camp, but uh, it, it's a non-Disney park, so I, I feel like the expectation's got to be a little bit lower. Taylor... <laughs> Our resident vegan queen. Oh, yeah. What, what are you sipping on here? Today, as you all know, I love tea. And because we're in Fantasyland, I had to have a tea party. But mine's a little bit more sensible. So I'm calling it the Sensible Tea Party. And it's just Moroccan mint green tea. Ooh. Ooh. Starting off the day fresh. It's good, yeah. Ooh. Back on my health kick. Love it. All right, so our topic today is Fantasyland, and of course, Fantasyland is all about the magic, and over at the Disney Parks, Disneyland Resort, Disneyland itself, we have a new parade. The new parade is called Magic Happens, and uh, I haven't seen anything about it. Chris, have you? 
I have seen just photos from Twitter. I haven't seen the parade. I haven't watched like video of the parade. But uh, Tess, friend of the show, Tess was able to watch it and got a good feel for it and got to listen to some of the music. Something I found out just scrolling through Twitter, the music for the parade co-produced by Todrick Hall. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Very impressive. So Tess go- went ahead and uh, I think she might have gone to the opening day, um, but she emailed us about it. So she says, hey, guys, I promise I won't give any spoilers for the floats, which is great because we haven't seen anything about it. So she goes, so when I first heard a clip of music a couple months back from somebody on Instagram, I was not impressed. It didn't draw my attention. It sounded kind of annoying out of context. It had a very poppy feel and high-pitched singing, and I don't know why, but it just didn't do it for me. So going into this, I knew I would be blown away by the floats, but I wasn't too sure about the music. Come parade time, when the beat dropped, I was so pumped. Whoever did the music was freaking talented. Well, we know who did the music. Uh, The transitions to the floats were absolutely seamless. And not only that, but a couple of the floats had mixes of two of the film songs. I'm no music reviewer, so sorry in advance, but I think that the best way to to describe the track would be upbeat pop for the chorus with some underlying R&B type rhythm and harmonizing for the other parts. Ooh. Ooh. It was truly a unique mix, and it has me listening to my Instagram story over and over again. What was so nice was that there was there were two main tracks of the song. The beginning of the floats had an upbeat part of the song, and the last few floats got a slow down hit that put you in the feels. Definitely blew me away. Ten out of ten music for sure. Ooh, <laughs> we have a we have a slapper on our hands. It sounds like Taylor. Have you been able to see anything about Magic Happens? Yeah, I watched the whole parade on YouTube, and it's so good. <laughs> And I love Todrick Hall, so I didn't even know that he made the music, but now it all makes sense. And, like, the little pods of dancers, I was, after watching the parade, I was looking up, like, auditions to become a dancer. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really optimistic. Uh, I didn't love the name of the parade when that dropped. The graphic that they released when they announced it was called Magic Happens was just, like, so easily manipulated into changing it to blank happens. Uh, so I was like, oh, here we go. Yeah, we got a meme on our hands here. But uh, reviews have been mostly positive. And, you know, I love a good Disney remix track. You know, we're talking Fantasyland today. So many classic Disney songs remixed in different ways. You got pipe organ stuff. You got you know classical string sounding stuff. Love listening to a good piano cover on Apple Music, any of these Disney songs. So I really love when they when they mix it and, and change it up, even if it might be a little bit corny, being overly pop or overly R and B. I'm still op- I'm still going in open minded about it. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I uh, when it comes to parade, the music is super important to me. I'm a obviously we just did our music. Uh, bracket, but I'm a I'm a huge music guy, especially when it comes to the Disney parks, and so uh, the music's really got to do it for me. And it sounds like Tess. I mean, Tess sold me. I'm ready to go on it. If it's uh, anything like she's described it, with the kind of upbeat intros, and then they slow it down a little R&B action, I'm ready for it. All right. Well, thank you, Tess, for that review. 
But now, let's get right into our bracket today. We are talking best fantasy land attraction. Before we announce the field, we of course have to announce the demographic that was surveyed for this bracket. Now, Disney has 16 attractions listed on the fantasy land portion of the Disney park map. So we had a nice, easy field determined for us, but we had to pick the order. We had to seed the attractions. So we asked folks taking photos with Mickey Mouse balloons and then not buying one. Taylor, do you have a photo with Disney Mickey Mouse balloons on your Instagram where you're holding them, but you did not buy one? Unfortunately, no. You should know that. Come on. I mean, I see a lot of people doing it. I've never done it myself. I'm always like, <laughs> it's just always a funny thing to see the uh, balloon seller holding the the string of balloons, but like four feet away so that the person can get the photo. It's just so funny to me. I feel so bad for that person. I'm like, <laughs> this poor cast member is just trying to do their job and what I think is supposed to be an opportunity for them to like maybe make an extra buck on a balloon here and there. It just has turned into people lining up down main street to stand underneath the balloons. Uh, it's, it's kind of obnoxious and it's a trend that I am not really a fan of, but the balloons are great. They're high quality balloons. I would highly recommend you buy one cause they last like a week after you take them home. Yeah, I I always wonder about people who uh, I mean you're local to to the parks when you go back home. Uh, people that fly, do they just fly home with their balloon on the plane? I I don't. What do they do? So I have looked this up. You are allowed to take inflated balloons on an airplane. You just have to take them through security like you would anything else, and you're good. And because the cabin's pressurized it won't like pop the balloon or like deflate the balloon as you go up and down in the airplane. So yeah, I mean, I've never really seen people with Disney balloons in the airport, but if someone wanted to take one home, they definitely could. Interesting. Very interesting. Also, it's really useful if you are a family and maybe you have a stroller, you can buy a balloon, tie it to the stroller, and then you kind of have like a giant flag if you're walking through a crowd and like, members of your party are kind of falling behind or whatever they can see the balloon and also if you've parked your stroller and you want to know where it is or you forgot you got this giant balloon to tell you exactly where it is love the mickey mouse balloon more for just more uses than just taking a dope instagram photo people and speaking of strollers it is time to get into our bracket it is time to announce the field of 16 for the best fantasy land attraction Cue the epic music. Come on, everybody. Here we go. Coming in at the number one seed is Peter Pan's Flight. We promise we won't sing it. Coming in at number two, it's a small world. Don't worry. Everyone on this pod is mad. Coming in at number three is the Mad Tea Party. Roaring into the number four spot, the Matterhorn. Always let your conscience be your guide. Coming in at number five is Pinocchio's Daring Journey. Will this ride live happily ever after its major refurbishment? Coming in at number six, Snow White's Scary Adventure. You're entirely bonkers, but I'll tell you a secret. All the best people are 
Coming in at number seven is Alice in Wonderland. You always remember your first. Coming in at number eight, Dumbo. All of your favorite storybook tales are inhabited by ducks. Coming in at number nine is Storybook Land Canal Boats. The number 10 seed is proof that communism reigns in this fantasy land. It's King Arthur's Carousel. Ready to go to hell? Coming in at number 11 is Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. I don't think this ride can. Coming in at number 12, Casey Jr.'s Circus Dream. The lines are too long, so you know where to go. Coming in at number 13, Sleeping Beauty Castle Walkthrough. You'll need a magical map to find this attraction. Coming in at number 14, it's the Fantasyland Theater. Let's all meet our favorite princesses. Coming in at number 15, it's Fantasy Fair. I'm very certain this meet and greet has no shot in this bracket. Rounding out our list of 16, Pixie Hollow. Taylor, you just spent a lot of time in the parks. How much time do you spend in Fantasyland? What do you love about it? Honestly, Fantasyland is like where I go at the end of the day when all the little kids have left and you can just walk onto every ride. And I think Fantasyland is best at that time just because all the lights, I just think it looks prettier. But yeah, honestly, I didn't spend that much time because I went during the holidays and the kids were there all the time. So I just, you know, walked through, rode the Matterhorn, you know. I mean, aside from New Orleans Square, I think this is my favorite land. I don't know about you, Chris. I would I would put it at number one, honestly. I think this is the heart and soul of Disneyland right here. The thing that's interesting about Fantasyland is you've got this little tiny castle courtyard area, and then it kind of extends up, and it can be extremely congested, especially in that castle area and it, it can be kind of a brutal experience if you're trying to brave those crowds around parade time maybe you're trying to get from like Tomorrowland to Frontierland along the Big Thunder Mountain Trail forget about it forget about it but it's really a special magical place and uh, all paths lead to Fantasyland so let's get into it We'll start off with our first matchup, the number one seed, Peter Pan's Flight, versus the number 16 seed, Pixie Hollow. Now, this one I don't think we have to spend a whole lot of time on. Peter Pan's Flight, I don't know that it deserves to be the number one seed. It's really, really, really great, and dark rides are kind of the bread and butter of Fantasyland. But I think it can be overrated at times, especially if you look at the queue times, but we can talk about that in a later round. Pixie Hollow is just a very, very basic meet and greet. It's not even like Mickey's house where the queue is entirely themed and you can spend an hour in there waiting to meet the character and have a good time. It's just Tinkerbell and like her fairy friends. The Disney fairies is a the Disney Fairies is its own franchise, one that I'm not really familiar with, so I don't know how big it is. It seems like it's one that they've invested less in lately. Maybe it was bigger around like the late 2000s, early 2010s, when they were producing a lot of like books and video games. I think there was an online game, Pixie Hollow. 
Tinkerbell, I think, has her place in Fantasyland, but to have this entire area for her just kind of seems like a waste of space. I don't know anyone who makes this an essential part of their day. It's kind of like on the outskirts, basically, in Tomorrowland, so I don't think there's any argument you could make about Pixie Hollow upsetting Peter Pan here, so I'm clearly advancing Peter Pan's flight. Yeah, I don't have much to build off on that. I think it's it's got to be Peter Pan's flight. Pixie Hollow is just a meet and greet. It replaced Ariel's Grotto, which was a another little meet and greet for uh, the mermaid. But it, I mean, uh, as far as best attraction goes, it's it can't it's not gonna be Pixie Hollow. Uh, Taylor, what what do you think about our advance of the number one seed here? Yeah, definitely Peter Pan's going on. Pixie Hollow. I feel like has had a lot of turmoil in its history. Disney kind of hasn't quite figured out what they want to do with that little area. It's been a lot of different things. It's gone from Tomorrowland to Fantasyland. And I think that Disney still has some work to do. So eventually I'm hoping they figure out what to put there that people enjoy. I'm sure people like Pixie Hollow, but I don't know. All right, we're going to move down the bracket to the number eight seed Dumbo versus number nine Storybook Land Canal Boats. Both very iconic to the Fantasyland uh, landscape here. Dumbo's used very often in the in the park's marketing materials. Whether you go West Coast or East Coast, you're always seeing a, a parent and their kid on this attraction flying through the air. Storybook Land Canal Boats. It's an iconic ride. I mean, it's been there since day one. It's definitely gone through changes since day one. Day one, you're riding through essentially an unfinished product where you're, it's a lot of just kind of dirt mounds where these castles and these villages are <laughs> miniaturized and set up on an unfinished landscape. But it's a, it, it's kind of a sign of what Walt was very interested in. He was of connoisseur of miniatures like he loved them and if you go to the walt disney family museum here in san francisco like there's an entire exhibit dedicated to his obsession with miniatures and so this ride makes sense why it exists he loves them um it i've i i'm gonna go ahead and say on the pod i've never been on dumbo wow i've never been on that ride why Uh, do you think that is uh i mean I guess growing up, like, my parents didn't want to stand in line for this ride. And then once I was old enough to go by myself, I didn't want to go on the ride. It just, it's not, what I'll say is that aesthetically, it's it's very pleasing. It's a, a very simple uh, s- kind of swing ride-esque. Um, it's gorgeous where it is. Um currently they just updated the queue so it's kind of this very circus theme where you're not standing in the sun any longer um storybook you're still standing in the sun but the boats are coming pretty rapidly so the wait's never very very long um i think that just i mean the personal bias for me has to go to storybook land only because i don't really get the same sort of immersion and magic out of Dumbo which is very it's just a a simple carnival ride to me and storybook land they really try and transport you to these little villages you have the person giving the spiel on the boat with you um it's just more of a it feels more Disney-esque storybook land to me even though Dumbo is highly marketed uh 
Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and just go with Storybook Land. Yeah, when I look at this matchup on paper, it seems really one-sided to me. But as I think more about Dumbo, I can kind of see some of the positive traits. The word you're looking for to describe this ride is a spinner. It's called yeah. a spinner. And they're a dime a dozen in carnivals and fairs across the world. The thing that makes Dumbo unique, though, is like you said, it's aesthetics. When the park opened, it looked like a basic carnival spinner. And they, over time, made improvements to it to make it really, really unique. And it's like this kinetic art sculpture that you can ride on. Love that they added the water features underneath the elephants. And it's something that I could just sit there for hours and watch people ride this ride while listening to the pipe organ music that either comes from the pipe organ itself, authentic 1910s pipe organ right behind the attraction that doesn't always play. If it's not playing, it's just the normal Fantasyland background music loop that is like fair style remixes of classic Disney music. Absolutely love it. Yeah, the ride itself is probably not that unique, not that entertaining, but it provides really cool views of Fantasyland. I will say that, especially when it's really crowded, you feel like you're lording over everyone that's like in this little like Fantasyland square area. It's a, a good ride, but it's definitely not essential. I think it has value. I think it needs to be there always because it's necessary in the ride lineup in this park, but I, I would not say it's something that people need to go on. Storybook Land, Canal Boats, I would say is something people need to go on. It's so unique. It's so authentically Disney. It's an experience you cannot find anywhere else. So for that reason, I also am advancing Storybook Land. Taylor, do you have any thoughts on Dumbo? I do, actually. I rode this ride last time I was there, and I was horrified because... Oh. It was circus themed and we're canceling circus culture in 2020. Yep. Animals yep. aren't here for our entertainment and how dare us ride on these elephants while a mouse whips them. You know, it, it was actually worse. Originally the Dumbo oh, ear man. flaps were designed to go up and down. So right. you were literally like <laughs> making him fly for you. Yeah, they're being whipped. They're like, if you don't fly for these kids in line, we're gonna whip you. I was like, no, no, no. Another little Dumbo fun fact before we move on. The original design was for all of the elephants to be pink as a in reference to the pink elephants sequence in Dumbo, but Walt Disney thought it would condone alcohol consumption because that scene <laughs> is kind of like an, an alcohol trip or something. So he was like, nah, we're just going to go regular gray Dumbos. Okay, oh, so... Storybook Land Canal Boats moves on and will face Peter Pan in the next round. Should be a good one. So we'll move down the list here to the number four seed Matterhorn Bobsleds versus number 13, the Sleeping Beauty Castle Walkthrough. Now, this is another one where you look at it and you go, who in their right mind would pick this castle walkthrough over the Matterhorn? Because Matterhorn is such an elite experience. But this walkthrough is really meaningful. I mean, Walt Disney was Mr. Walkthrough. This, he started designing this park before a lot of this ride technology was in place. He was the one that invented a lot of it. So walkthroughs really made a lot of sense to him. And this attraction kind of preserves that 
tradition. Now, the effects are also pulled off amazingly. There was a, a refurb that was done on it, I believe in the early 2010s, where they made all of these windows come to life, uh, and you got to see some classic scenes from Sleeping Beauty, one of my favorite Disney movies of all time. The passages are a little bit narrow, and if there's a bunch of people who want to see this thing, it can be a little bit annoying to get through, especially if you have to like wait through a line. Everyone's like moving at their own pace. There are children trying to read the inscriptions outside of the windows, and it's just... It can be obnoxious, but if it's like a really slow day and there's no one going through this thing, I think that it's really cool. It also gives you a reason to explore Sleeping Beauty's castle, which is like, you know, the monument of the entire park. You get to be up close with it and you get to feel like you're inside of it. And I think that that's really, really cool. Again, it's one of those rides where I don't experience it every time I'm in the park. I wouldn't say that it's something you need to do, but I'd say if you've got some time, it's definitely worth checking out. But it's going up against the Matterhorn, which I think is one of Disney's greatest attractions of all time. It is recognizable, groundbreaking, has so much going for it. Again, it's one we can talk about in future rounds. I'm easily, easily moving Matterhorn on here. How crazy is it that uh, Walt Disney and the Disney Company just kind of built Sleeping Beauty's castle before the movie came out? before people even knew what it was and it was basically just a massive marketing tool like that's all it was and the the fact that it like started out with not having anything in it and then it had something in it and then they took it away and then for the 50th they brought it back like it really just shows how iconic it is but it's going up against the Matterhorn which especially in recent years and I think I talked about it um, last episode when we're talking about the uh change in the bobs uh it's it's just it's such an elite attraction across all theme park lands right it's just this amazing groundbreaking ride that is going to be a walkthrough every single time so i'm with you chris i'm moving matterhorn on uh taylor any sad thoughts for sleeping beauty's castle Sad thoughts. Hmm, no, the Matterhorn deserves to move on. I do have a question for you guys, though. And sure. Where's that blue wall that everyone takes a picture in front of that says, and they lived happily ever after? That is at the Art of Animation building oh. at California Adventure. This whole time I believe, I that if was I know which castle. one you're talking about. Yeah. That yeah, wall, just, I like think, the is animation cursed. Academy. I think the wall is cursed. <laughs> wait, wait, dive in. Because, you know, I grew up around here and, you know, everyone, not me, but everyone would take their their boyfriend to that wall and take a picture and make it their Facebook profile picture. And none of those people are still together. So. Wow. <laughs> Here's a, a challenge to the Mouse Madness uh, listeners. If you've taken a photo in front of that wall and you're still with your significant other, tweet it at us. We'd love to see if this uh, theory holds up true. I've never taken a photo in front of that wall. I think it's absolutely dumb. <laughs> then <laughs> but, don't. Yeah, and I don't think I will because you just brought up this curse. But I'd love to see if somebody has and uh, they truly did live happily ever after. Well, the thing is, there is also a once upon a time wall that goes into the building. And then the, they lived happily ever after walls when they come out of the building. Wouldn't it make more sense to take a picture 
with the once upon a time sign because it's like your story's beginning, especially if you're like a kid growing up in Southern California. So you're telling me you lived happily ever after at age 15? Come on, guys. Come on. All right, let's move this bracket along. We're heading down to the number five, Pinocchio's Daring Journey versus number 12, Casey's Junior Circus Train. Guys, Casey Jr.'s uh, little theme song, Certified Slap. Certified Slap. Ooh. Ooh. I'm going to say it on the pod. Certified. That <laughs> that song is so catchy and just, Casey Jr. running down the track. Casey Jr.'s back. Casey Jr.'s. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's so good. Um, it's going up against a fairly iconic dark ride, which people always tend to think that was a a day one attraction just because it's in Fantasyland and it's a dark ride, but it wasn't. It was built in 1983 during the new Fantasyland uh, expansion. So it's people, it's not an original attraction. It's, it's fairly new in Disney history. Um, but what they did so well with it was they made it fit in with all the other dark rides. Obviously, I didn't go on a dark ride in 1955, wasn't alive yet, but you go on these rides now and not only have they kept them fairly up to date in technology, but they've also kept them very uniform. So it's not jarring going from one to another, in my opinion. Um, it's a little different when you go on like Peter Pan, which is technologically advanced, and then you go on... Uh, Pinocchio, which doesn't necessarily have the effects, but the everything is the same. The animatronics are the same. Um, the kind of experience that you're going to have in, what, 45 seconds is the same. Um, but this ride is terrifying. Pleasure Island in general as a concept is terrifying. And we talked about it a little bit on, I think, the Heroes Bracket. Um, just how the messages of like child trafficking and, and kidnapping is is so prevalent in that movie they didn't shy away from it in this ride it's it's terrifying when i'm looking at this matchup though like walt disney obviously had an obsession with trains it's there's no ifs ands or buts he he loved trains uh this was a day one attraction kc jr but it didn't really work on day one so they were really testing it and then it reopened later in in 1955 later that month in july it's an experience that I don't really care for. You can be like a circus animal um, and be in a, in a in a cage train, which is a little weird. I always think it's weird when I see the train run rolling by, especially when you're on Storybook and there's people in the in the cage portion of the train and they're just like sitting there waving. Like it's, you you wouldn't be having fun if this was a real train. You'd be hating life. <laughs> um, I think that uh, Pinocchio is just too too quintessential fantasy land to not move on here and i think that the undertones of circus life which we already denounced dumbo for uh is carried on through casey jr so uh, i'm moving pinocchio's daring journey on yeah kyle i will admit that casey jr is probably the one ride at disneyland that i will not ride unless i'm doing a gumball rally type thing where I am trying to ride every single ride in the park. I don't feel bad displacing a child from a Dumbo elephant, but for some reason I feel really bad displacing a child from the Casey Jr. train cars. It just, 
I feel so uncomfortable on this thing. I just, I don't know why. And I think that I like this ride more as like a complimentary piece to Storybook Land, where it's providing some motion to that little river ride. You're going through the canals and like there's this nice little mini train going around. It makes Storybook Land a lot better, but as an attraction on its own, I don't see a whole lot of value for like the mass audience. I mean, it's one of those kiddie rides that it's one of the few that they can do. Grandma and Grandpa might have fun. It's just a nice little pleasant ride. It's surprisingly long in duration. It does a lot of laps around and, and weaves in and out above the Storybook Land canals. But yeah, I I think Pinocchio, like you said, is a little bit too essential to Fantasyland. So I also am advancing Pinocchio here. Taylor, do you have any thoughts on Casey Jr. by any chance? Kyle already covered basically my main thought, but I also love going to Disneyland and watching the people in front of me, I guess you could say, on rides. And (laughs) (laughs) Casey Jr. is such a funny one because (laughs) you have these adults like crammed in these little like cars. It's kind of like clown cars. And then the train literally looks like it's on its last leg, like trying to get up the hill with all these adults. It's very funny. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't ride this. Exactly. I'm like, what are you doing? You are a grown person. Go ride the real Disneyland Railroad. Like, that's yeah, way better. There's another train for you. When my family and I did our impromptu version of the Mice Chat Gumball Rally on New Year's a few years ago, I think Casey Jr. was the most excruciating weight out of any of the rides because there's really no cue. But when too many people want to ride it, like, it just, it doesn't work. (laughs) So, Casey Jr., I'm sorry, but you are not advancing. So we're going to move to the other side of our bracket here. We have the number two seed, It's a Small World, versus number 15, Fantasy Fair. It's a Small World, obvious heavyweight in this bracket, has so much historical significance. Fantasy Fair is one of the newer additions to Disneyland Park. It took over the space where the Carnation Gardens used to be. A lot of people were kind of mad when this happened. It's basically a princess meet and greet and a small stage slash theater where they perform little 20 minute shows. That's like a spoof of Frozen, Tangled or Beauty and the Beast. There's really not a whole lot of reason for you to go there. But I have been to this area twice now in recent trips to Disneyland, and I absolutely love it. One thing I really love about it is the attraction that it displaced was not very significant. Carnation Gardens was just used as a picnic area or sometimes a performance space for swing bands, and they still do that on Saturday nights at Disneyland. They have live swing music come perform at this little stage. Really, really cool, unique experience that not a lot of people know about. And it's a nice little addition to have to the park where, you know, maybe grandma and grandpa don't want to go on the Haunted Mansion or they don't want to go on Big Thunder, but they hear that swing music and they want to head over there. It's such a cool, little, unique thing that they do in this area. Also, you got the princess meet and greets. Really essential, especially for Fantasyland. The mix got his own house. Why shouldn't Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty have their own house too? Because 
they're so important to the Disney brand, people are going to want to see them at all hours that the park's open. So love that it's there. At the Magic Kingdom in Florida, this princess meet and greet took the spot of Snow White's Scary Adventure. So they lost like a quintessential dark ride for this meet and greet space. And in California, they got it basically built up from nothing. So I think some people should be thankful that Fantasy Fair exists. Also, those little spoof plays are hilarious. Like the first time I saw the Frozen one, I was dying. It was so funny. I would highly, highly recommend if you're trying to like, you know, maybe have a little more of a chill day at the park, stop by Fantasy Fair, watch one of those little shows at the theater, and you, I promise you, you will not regret it. If you're even a little bit interested in theater, it's so funny. There's so many like little musical theater jokes that they do in it, and it's just, it's great. Love it. I have nothing but praises to say about Fantasy Fair, but going up against it's a small world which i do not think you could have disneyland park without it's a small world for that reason alone i have to advance it for the next round yeah you wouldn't have a disneyland park because it's a small world alongside uh great moments with mr lincoln uh the people mover like these were all these kind of 1964 world's fair maybe not the monorail but 1964 world's fair uh, attractions that if Walt didn't have the backing of corporations and sponsors would never have happened, and he pro- his his uh, his park probably would have just died. You know, like it was a big play for him, and it's a small world was part of that. Um, I disagree with you about uh, Fantasy Fair it being it not really taking anything away, and they still do swing music like Carnation Plaza Gardens was the place for folks that either didn't have families or were adults to go to. And it was the date night at Disneyland craze uh, during the 50s that brought the park to life at night. And it's such an iconic moment that even translates to now. Like, if it weren't for date night, in my opinion, if it weren't for date night at Disneyland, then adults would feel weird about coming to the parks by themselves without a family. And people get shamed to do that now, but I think that date night, <laughs> date night at Disneyland walked so that us couples without <laughs> kids could run at this park. <laughs> um, regardless, it's a small world. It's way too iconic to not move on past a, a meet and greet slash uh, showtime area. So I'm with you, Chris. It's a small world moves on. Uh, Taylor, your thoughts. Agreed. It's a small world to move on. Fantasy Fair is really cute. It looks kind of like an Epcot pavilion to me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the only reason I would go there is if I had kids. And even then, I'd be like, really? Like, mommy doesn't want to go there, please. So it's just a lot of kids and strollers, and it's, it's a mess. All right. So our next matchup is number seven, Alice in Wonderland, versus number 10, King Arthur's Carousel. Oh boy, this is a, a power matchup here because King Arthur's Carousel is such a, I mean, I I feel like on this podcast all I do is say iconic, but there's an iconic part of Fantasyland. It is. You walk through the castle and the first thing you see, this massive carousel that has so much history behind it. Walt was obsessed with carousels. He bought this one from Toronto, brought it down, had it refurbished. Uh, when Mary Poppins came out, 
uh, there's a lot of marketing material around like Julie Andrews riding this uh, carousel because she does so in the movie. During the 50th anniversary, they dedicated an entire horse to her. Like this, this thing is never gonna go away. And even though you just kind of walk by and you're like, oh yeah, that's kind of that's cute. It's nice. It adds to the ambiance of Fantasyland. There's an organ piping out. Uh, Disney music usually the from the attractions that it surrounds or that surrounds it it's it's just it's just such a a nice attraction to to be around is it a nice attraction to go on it's a carousel i don't care for it i'm not waiting in line to ride this horse and and sit there for a minute 30 just going in circles i even as a kid i wasn't down to do that right it's it's kind of an antiquated attraction but at the time that they were popular i'm sure it was great i'm sure this was unlike anything you've ever been on alice in wonderland is just an elite fantasy land attraction this thing takes a dark ride brings it outside and then it brings you back in this it's and it, it's been like that since its day one inception it's just so it's just so fun um, during the 50th anniversary, they refurbed it and they added a lot of effects and it just looks beautiful. There's a lot of great kind of practical illusion work within it where like you go through the, uh, uh, the queen of hearts, like garden, and there's all of the, uh, cards, card guards marching around. And it looks like the room never ends with the guards. Um, and it's just a simple mirror, mirror effect. I think that's awesome. Like it's it's what Disney does well, which is take the practical and make it magic. Like I love that. Um, as far as attraction goes, I just don't see the appeal in a carousel. I see what it does for the land, but I don't think that if I just kind of think about attractions itself, I'm gonna wait in line for a carousel. I'm not. It's just not gonna happen for me. Um, I'm moving Alice in Wonderland on. So, to me, I wouldn't say that Alice in Wonderland is an elite-level dark ride. Or at least it wasn't always that way. You reference these improvements that they recently made to the ride, which I agree have taken it up several notches. To me, this ride used to be super forgettable, super missable, but they did a great job introducing some of that projection mapping technology, better lighting, better animatronics, and they made this thing much more enjoyable. But one thing they'd lost was the outdoor section of the track, which, because of the Space Mountain worker contractor injury that took place where someone fell off of the roof when they were trying to clean it, I believe. Disney went through like a total safety overhaul with all of their attractions. One attraction that really suffered from that was this Alice in Wonderland ride. Obviously, safety should come first, but that little outdoor section of the track when they wander out the top door, past the Queen of Hearts, and then down to the unbirthday scene used to be so like perilous and like, Oh, like, oh, we might fall or like, what a nice view. And they had to expand it so far. You pretty much completely lose that sensation. 
which I really don't like. So like, is it worth the trade-off where you get all of this improvements on the interior, but you lose that really cool exterior portion of the ride? I don't know. I would say, I would say it's worth the trade-off. But King Arthur's Carousel, man. This is the Lamborghini of carousels. For those of you who maybe are not so familiar with carousel technology or carousel traditions, most carousels are like a menagerie of many different types of animals, right? Tigers, lions, cheetahs, alongside horses. And a lot of the animals are stationary. But this version, King Arthur's Carousel, all beautiful white stallions, all of them going up and down, allegedly... Walt had it designed this way so that children wouldn't argue over which animal they got to ride on or if they got to ride on one that moved or one that didn't move. And I think that totally works for Fantasyland because it's right outside of a castle. It's like this very royal, regal, grand carousel experience. All paths lead directly, directly to this carousel. You walk in the park entrance and you walk in a straight line the first thing you hit is the carousel, and it takes you a long time to hit there. Like, all of the sight lines go whoosh, directly to the castle, and then right behind it, the carousel. It's like everything, the castle is central to Disneyland, and the carousel is central to the castle. It's like the center of the compass, right? I think that's worth something. Now, do I think Alice in Wonderland is a better Disney ride? Probably, but we're talking best fantasy land ride we're talking about a ride that's essential to fantasy land and to me i think you could remove alice in wonderland and i would be totally okay with it first of all you've already gotten alice in wonderland ride you got the mad tea party which i think is sufficient that ride sufficiently covers alice in wonderland ip this carousel i mean it's just it's something else also man go on youtube type in king arthur's carousel musical loop it's incredible like it's the soundtrack for everything these pipe organ covers disney songs non-disney songs it's enchanting it's magical it's just it's just perfect in every way so i'm going to disagree with you and i'm going to advance king arthur's carousel beyond alice from Wonderland, which means we have our very first tiebreaker of this bracket taylor carousel versus alice what do you got you guys have me so heated over here. <laughs> and also, I changed my opinions on some things. So, originally, I was kind of like, what's so one-of-a-kind unique about a carousel? Because you can literally find that at, at the local shopping mall. Um, and like Kyle said, I feel like some of the charm of the carousel is because of the atmosphere. And you can get, like the same amount of happiness just watching it at probably more than riding it because you didn't have to wait in line. And I think Chris kind of touched on that too. Like it's part of this land, but I feel like it's kind of the old fantasy land. Like when fantasy land was a carnival and all the rides were tents, it makes more sense there. And so I was like, eh, it's okay. But then when Chris was talking about it being about the white horses and the castle, I was like, okay, the carousel can stay. 
in Fantasyland. <laughs> but it will not be staying in this bracket because Alice in Wonderland is my actual favorite ride in Fantasyland. It's rude. probably the only so reason rude. I go. Yes. And that area, like the Mad Hatter, like, shop and then the teacups and then Alice in Wonderland, it's like... You're um, fully immersed in the movie, and oh, I just love Alice in Wonderland. I'm going to save what I'm going to say for later, but I can't believe you would do that. It's the best. Close your eyes and picture that Fantasyland area with no carousel. It would be like the apocalypse. I would be like, what? What happened? Like, why? Why? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you to a certain extent that... I mean, I brought it up in my own uh, discussion that it it's iconic and and adds to the ambiance. But as an attraction, like you can just honestly, you could just pipe in that music and I'd be fine. You could just pipe in the music. You guys are wrong. You missed that one. Messed that one up big time. All right, so I guess we'll move on to talk about another Alice in Wonderland attraction. We've got the number three seed Mad Tea Party versus number 14 Fantasyland Theater. Now, part of me wants to be really salty and just like automatically advance the theater on because now all of a sudden we're going to have two Alice in Wonderland attractions in the Elite Eight. Like, what is that? What's that about? I will say, though, like Dumbo... Mad Tea Party fills a necessary spot on the ride roster. I mean, this is entertainment at its most basic. It's just something a little crazy kids can go do and try to spinny around as fast as they can until they throw up. Like, that is just, that is part of the Disneyland experience when you are a child is riding this ride and trying to go as fast as you can. Now, nowadays, I don't really do that so much. I get spinny motion sickness, so I don't like the Mad Tea Party, but super fun to watch totally necessary it's hilarious to watch the game of musical chairs that happens when they open that little pen and like everyone sprints for a teacup and then the ride op like counted wrong and Worst then someone has ride. to make the walk of shame back to the queue for the next round but um you know i think it's i think it's really essential fantasy lane theater got some nice roots in history you know you were talking about dana at disneyland Fantasyland Theater has its roots in Videopolis. Oh, I don't want to spend too long talking about Videopolis. <laughs> if you want to learn more about Videopolis, watch the Defunct Land video on YouTube about Videopolis. Oh, it's so good. It's it was like an 80s video dance club and like people got stabbed at it and like after it's just an extremely interesting part of Disney history. But now it's home to the Fantasyland Theater, which currently performs Mickey's Magical Map, which I think is a phenomenal, phenomenal production. It's another one of those things where, like, if you have older members of your party or really young members of your party and they don't want to do the rides, this is a, a high, high, high quality form of entertainment for someone to see. They've selected some of my favorite Disney hits in this show. You've got I See the Light. You've got Wanna Be Like You. You've got Hawaiian Roller Coaster Ride. You've got Reflection, among others. It's just so good. And, you know, I think at times Disneyland can be kind of light on those other forms of entertainment at the park. And this, this really fills a necessary void. But at the end of the day, Mad Tea Party, that's a day one attraction. And like the carousel, it's one where I just could not see could not see Fantasyland without this ride. So I'm going Mad Tea Party. 
Yeah, I'm not going to waste my ammo. I'm also going to go ahead and advance Mad Tea Party. Um, Taylor, Mad Tea Party, you big fan? Obviously. Let's move it forward. <laughs> Great. I love it. We're going to move on to our last matchup of this round of 16. We have Snow White Scary Adventures first, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Chris, you have a better pulse on the East Coast fan culture, I think, only because that's kind of become your, your home park. And you are also, I mean, we've been big Disney fans, especially big parks fans, but do you remember when they took out Mr. Toad's Wild Ride in Disney World and the effect it had on its fans. It was really, really interesting. This ride apparently had a huge, huge cult following at the Magic Kingdom, and they announced that Winnie the Pooh was going to take its spot. This was an Eisner decision, of course, and people were extremely angry about it. And for months, people organized these like massive ride-a-thons where everyone was wearing Save Mr. Toad shirts and all of that kind of stuff. So interesting. Watch uh, Mark's Yesterworld's video on the Mr. Toad ride at Disney World if you want to learn some really cool history about that one. Yeah, people were really up in arms about it. Interestingly enough, no one really cared when the Snow White version was <laughs> removed for the princess meet-and-greet. Uh, and in my opinion, the Snow White attraction is just so much better, especially the Magic Kingdom version. Like, if you thought the Disneyland version of Snow White was scary, the Magic Kingdom version of Snow White was, like, a horror film. Like, it was crazy. But, yeah, people loved Mr. Toad in Orlando, for sure. Yeah, it's it's this thing where I also love Mr. Toad at Disneyland, and I'm, I'm not too sure why. Mr. Toad, uh, the Wind in the Willows package film with uh, Ichabod and Mr. Crane, those that is like a essential to watch during Halloween time for me. And it, like it leads off with Mr. Toad and then you end with Sleepy Hollow. It's just a it's a it just invokes this kind of weird nostalgia that I always bring up on this podcast that I shouldn't have because I wasn't alive, but I do regardless. And Mr. Toad's Wild Ride does that for me and it's just so bizarre and fun and you end up in hell brought it up at the beginning of this podcast that you get essentially sentenced to hell in this in this attraction and i think that's hilarious uh snow white scary adventures i'm so interesting or interested in seeing what happens in this refurb that's happening as we speak at disneyland i know that it ends with a happy ending i know that they're changing some things but i want to know if like the i brought this up with pinocchio how it just kind of fits in with the rest of the Fantasyland aesthetic. If they're going to refurb Snow White, is it going to just kind of feel like this outlier within the land? I'm really interested in how they how they do it because they did it well with Peter Pan and Peter Pan's refurb, but how are they going to change it now with this kind of screen technology and the way that things are going these days? Regardless, though, I think that one... I sit down with somebody and they're going on their first Disneyland trip. I'm like, in Fantasyland, you're going to hit Peter Pan. You're going to want to hit Snow White because it's just so fun to see people's reactions to actually how kind of terrifying it is and just how spooky and eerie that ride is. And the queue is fun because you kind of walk around the corner and you walk by like essentially the evil queen's 
layer and people have been throwing coins in there forever <laughs> it's just kind of it's just it's just a place for coins to go to their final death but it's it starts off eerie the entire attraction from the queue to the ride itself and it lives up to its name and obviously it's changed not only names but how it's been presented at the park it was originally snow white and her adventures um, and you're supposed to be her going through this and people weren't really relating and also was terrifying so people had to <laughs> they had to change the name to snow white scary adventures so that people knew what they were getting into because it was scary um i think that it, when you, in this head-to-head matchup if i'm sitting there in fantasy land i'm like do i go left to snow white or do i go right to mr toad i'm going left to snow white every single time it's just a better experience in my opinion and more relatable in the disney canon so i'm going uh, snow white scary adventures kyle i will say right now snow white is in my personal top three favorite disneyland attractions oh it has such a great mix of adventure horror and just magic that just really is kind of like what makes this park so great. Mr. Toad, I used to be a real Disney purist, right? And I was like, Mr. Toad, this ride's been around forever. It's got to stay, got to stay here. And uh, it's interesting. Every single Fantasyland dark ride has received a major refurb except for Mr. Toad. And you go on this ride and it's just a bunch of painted plywood cutouts. Not very sophisticated technology. Disney can do so, so, so much better. I am terrified that they're going to screw up Snow White. But at the same time, I've seen what they've done with the Frozen Boat Dark Ride at Epcot. I've seen what they've done with Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway now. And I have the utmost confidence that they're going to be able to pull off either just incredible animatronics or a really nice balance of projection, 2D screens, sorry, 2.5D screens. And I I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to blow everyone away. And I think within the next five years, we will be riding something different than Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. I believe it will be converted to some kind of tangled or frozen attraction after Snow White blows everyone out of the water. And it it breaks my heart to make that prediction, but I think that they can make better use of that space. I am totally fine if we move on from this ride. It's great while it lasted, but space is at a premium in Disneyland and you got to give the people what they want. So I am also moving Snow White on to the next round. Taylor, do you have any opinions on Mr. Toad at all? Are you a passionate Mr. Toad fan? I am, and I'm going to be rioting if they try and take it out. I need to find the shirts. <clears throat> How dare you even manifest a frozen ride in my presence? I I can't even believe that came out of your mouth. I'm, like, so upset. But you know what? These are probably my two second, like, Alice in Wonderland's my favorite, but these are, like, my two second favorite dark rides in Fantasyland, and it's so hard because they're up against each other, and I love them both so much, Um, but I do agree. Chris, you made a good point, and you won me over. The painted plywood, it just isn't enough to make it to the next round, so goodbye, Mr. Toad. I will say this. The one really unique experience that you find in Mr. Toad, other than obviously the you traveling to hell elements, 
your little toad car enters some like really really tiny rooms and you're like really really up close with a lot of these cutouts and it's almost scary that you are like completely alone so close to this ride technology it's really not a sensation you get on any other attraction at disneyland it's like almost a personal experience when you ride that thing all right folks well we've made it to the elite eight let's get through and get ourselves a fantasy land final four shall we so with our first elite eight matchup we've got the top seed peter pan's flight versus the number nine seed storybook land canal boats Peter Pan's Flight has a really interesting history. Clearly, it's an attraction that Disney really cares about as they have continuously made improvements to this ride as time goes on. Kind of a really famous like Disney tall tale that's actually true is that they designed all these rides with the intention that the writers will assume the role of the main character and they will immediately understand that Peter Pan's flight, you're supposed to be Peter Pan going on his little adventure through Neverland, but they didn't really register with guests, except for Mr. Toad, that did register with guests. And so uh, Disney added Peter Pan animatronics in a couple of places, and I think most recently, early 2010s, they did like a, a new nursery scene, and clearly they've improved the lighting effects in their uh, London scene, and as well as the like Neverland map scene. So, I mean, this is just a really, really high quality experience. The thing that's so, so annoying about it is it has such a low hourly rider capacity that it's just excruciating to get on this thing. I mean, if this was a a weight like Snow White or like Pinocchio, this would be probably a top three attraction for me. But it's just like a whole thing if you want to go on it like you have to strategically plan when you want to ride peter pan it's so annoying because i don't think it's worth it in addition to it having a low throughput it also has a really short ride duration so you're talking about waiting approximately one minute in line for every one second on the ride which is just that's just a terrible conversion rate and on top of that the queue is like mind-numbingly boring it's just like this stone spiral pit and you feel like you're just crammed into this little corner waiting for this ride really really inefficient the ride vehicles are just so huge and you can only load two and a half people on each boat and because it's like you know hanging from the ceiling the ride ops really have to make sure everyone's inside the vehicle before they can dispatch it so Man, I think it's really high quality, and that Neverland map scene where you're circling the island, it's a showstopper. I mean, that thing is beautiful, but I just cannot get over how difficult it is to ride this ride, and for that reason alone, I'm advancing Storybook Land Canal Boats. It just it just frustrates me. It, just, it makes me mad. You know, if we were talking about how this ride's a walk-on every time, I might have a different opinion on it, but... You know, your time is valuable at these parks, and I think that's something you have to consider when you're talking about Peter Pan. I, I, no. I think that the the payoff for sitting through that line as a, like a hardcore Disney fan is worth it. 
Yeah, but you're I a did. hardcore Disney fan. I have taken two complete Disney newbies on Peter Pan, expecting them to be blown away, and both of them were mad that we waited in the line for Peter Pan. For what? They Absolutely. Got. But this perspective is from me, who is a hardcore Disney fan. And I think that through explanation of this ride and just what they've done to it, like we brought up how you just brought up how they've really shown love to this ride and to, to keep it fresh and exciting and a showstopper. It is a showstopper. You go through storybook land canal boats and the best part of it is going through Monstro the, ra- the whale and that happens in the first three seconds of the ride. No, the rest no. of it, in my opinion, is just boring. Here, here's wow. a Aladdin's. Uh, here's Agrabah, and uh, look to your left. We just added Arendelle, and how do you think the Jungle how, Cruise is boring, sir? And how different is uh, if <laughs> if you can't compare this to the Jungle Cruise? Are you joking? Come on now, the Jungle Cruise is fantastic. This ride is not. It's you're going through miniatures with somebody that's spieling at you like puns. It's essentially our the beginning part of our brackets just the, for two minutes where they're just like, oh, we hope that Aladdin uh, has his bread. Like, uh, what? Who cares? The spirit cares? of Fantasyland is watching your favorite magical Disney movies come to life. And when what you part- see these miniatures occupying real space... You get to see, wow, like, if the village from Pinocchio was real, this is what it would look like. That's so cool. And it's like you're you're twice removed from reality because you're already at Disneyland, so you're inside of a berm, and then you're inside of another berm inside Storybook Land. You're in, a berm within a berm. There are no but, other guests that you can see when you're on this ride, and it's like you're in your, yeah, there a are. whole no, different world. This, no, this is so wrong. You just... Th- apply that argument directly to Peter Pan. Yeah, but your you have the real sky over your head. That's the difference. Is that your you... favorite fairy tales coming to life. The only thing that's living in storybook canal boats are the ducks that inhabit that attraction. There's nothing else. You're going past miniatures and none of them do anything. It is a boring ride. And you do see other guests because Casey Jr.'s loud attraction comes rolling right through when you're making the turn every single time you use you see, your imagination Kyle you see these Dad, are other you people see, in your kingdom that are you, circling above you and you wave at them the circus is coming to town there it's it's dad in a monkey cage no are you joking that entire argument should be applied to peter pan peter pan comes to life storybook land does not literally at all i'm moving peter pan on taylor we're going to you Ooh. So, as you guys can see, Storybook Canal Boats, Storybook Land Canal Boats is a very polarizing ride. When I found out that I was going to be a guest host, I texted my family, my annual pass holder cousins, and I said, what is the best Fantasyland ride? And... Three of them said Storybook Land Canals, which it's not surprising. Come on. It's because so the real ones know. The real ones know. Because I don't ride this ride. The line is too long, and from what I remember, it was boring. So then I had to watch a ride through to oh. confirm that it was boring. And I watched it with my mom last night, and she was like, "God, this is so boring," and she left. 
It's campy. They added Frozen, which I know makes Chris Barsocks happy. But yes, that's true. And it's a Disneyland exclusive, right? So that's cool. I believe but there's Epcot, one in Paris. Oh, there is? Yeah. And if I wanted to see miniatures, I'd just go down to the local Michaels, you know? Oh, my God. Oh, my. Walt Disney's frozen head is spinning oh, right now. Oh, okay? my gosh. That you just compared the, Storybook Land to that's Michaels. That's the greatest quote that has ever happened on this podcast. <laughs> Oh, man. Peter Pan is not my favorite ride, but I'll get into that later. But when it comes against Storybook Land, it's got to go forward. It's it's the number one seed for a reason. Oh, my. I feel like I just got stabbed in the back. <laughs> well, folks, we've got Peter Pan's flight moving on to the final four. Kyle, you've got the next matchup. I sure do. We're doing number four, Matterhorn Bobsleds versus number five, Pinocchio's Daring Journey. We're talking best Fantasyland attraction. Matterhorn has jumped lands. It's once in Tomorrowland. It's now Fantasyland. It's 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 it is the epitome of fantasy, unless I guess you're a bobsledder that goes down mountains. Pinocchio is quintessential fantasy land, right? It's a dark ride. Uh, you get transported into his world. You're immersed. Um, but I, like, I'm a huge Matterhorn fan, guys. I am a huge fan. And from the moment you're in the queue, and the yodelers are yodeling off at you, to the moment you sit in the bobsled and you come to a stop right at the the mouth of this mountain and then since they've refurbished it for the 60th anniversary the ascent up the mountain is amazing yeah you see the yeti look at you with his glowing eyes and then run up the mountain to meet you at the turn this it's such a genius storytelling element that was it like if you went on this ride before, you wouldn't even think that you needed anything because you felt like you were on just a roller coaster and that you were going to be surprised by things. Now, you're being put into this fantasy like mindset that this Yeti is coming after you specifically. And they've been able to time it up so well with the double track that it happens for every ride vehicle, at least in my experience. I've never gone past it and it not trigger you know uh pinocchio is like i said it's a it's one of those like snow white where it's actually pretty scary especially when you're going through pleasure island i i think that man this it's tough for me though because they both tell a story so well but pinocchio is a story fan uh matterhorn they took a concept Essentially, Walt just went to one of his Imagineers and was like, you see this? Like, build it. We're going to figure it out. It was innovative for its time. The first tubular roller coaster ever. That's impressive in itself. Like, Pinocchio is is in the ranking of the Dark Rides in Fantasyland. We already got rid of Mr. Toad. Pinocchio is the next on my list to get rid of. I think that the storytelling from nothing with the Matterhorn is just so elite that I'm moving Matterhorn on past Pinocchio. Yeah. I think you 
kind of just gave a little insight into my thought process. There are these four, five dark rides in Fantasyland, and it seems like everyone has their favorite. Mine is Snow White, and so it makes me kind of maybe dismiss the others because their experiences are very similar. So I was pretty much out on Pinocchio when we started this bracket for that reason. It's fine, but it just doesn't have the engagement suspense factor that you know Snow White does, or even Peter Pan does for that matter. Matterhorn, like you said, is just so elite. Perfect example of how Disney's capable of plussing an attraction, refurbing it in a positive way, where you take the effect that was already there, in this case the abominable snowman, and just make them better. More realistic looking, terrifying, something you're scared of, but like you can't wait for it to happen too, because it's just so impressive. The views are great, incredible experience. We can talk more about it in the final four, but I also am advancing Matterhorn. Taylor, do you have any thoughts on Pinocchio by any chance? I like Pinocchio's Daring Journey because I like those rides that have a little bit of edge, and I love fluorescent black light. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is. I just hmm. love it so much. Um, but yeah, Matterhorn's got to go. Ice luge, ice luge. <laughs> All right, so we'll hop across to the other side of the bracket. Looks like Peter Pan and the Matterhorn will be going head-to-head in the final four in the next episode. But our next Elite Eight matchup is the number two seed, It's a Small World, versus number seven, Alice in Wonderland. I alluded to the historical significance last round. Kyle talked a little bit about its origins. This ride just has so so many things wrapped up in it it's got the world's fair thing it's got the stealing sponsors monies now to have a long lasting installation at your park it's got a really good spirit like a really good message that we all have our differences in the world but we are all occupying the same space so we should embrace each other for being different and really celebrate those differences because that's what makes the world such a special place to be It's also got the Mary Blair factor, where you've got this beautiful facade that is just so unique, and the art is a style that you cannot find anywhere. It came from this historic Disney legend, right? And I know I talked a lot about ride throughput with Peter Pan. It's a Small World is the complete opposite end of the spectrum. It has the third highest average capacity of any Disney ride at Disneyland Resort behind Pirates and Autopia of all rides. Small World is a ride that doesn't break down. There's just not a whole lot of elements to it that would put it completely out of commission. I mean, there are a lot of animatronics working, but there are so many that if one was not functioning, you might hardly notice it. It's a people eater. It's a true sea ticket. It really carries the weight of all of the other attractions in the park because if something like the Matterhorn goes down with technical issues, people are going right to Small World. It's always operating, always, always, always putting a lot of people through it. So what does that mean? It means that if you go to Disneyland, chances are you ended up on It's a Small World. Chances are you 
definitely ended up on Pirates of the Caribbean. So It's a Small World is one of those like thesis statement rides for this park. It shows off what this company is about. It shows off what the park's about. It shows off its messages of inclusivity and magic and world building. And I just love that about this ride. If I was going to pick out one downside, it would be that there are some slight cultural appropriation issues. It's like they have whittled down these cultures into like very specific stereotypes like oh India it's just people dancing by the water at the Taj Mahal which like is definitely not true India is a really big place and there's a lot of people uh, and these are like really classic depictions that made a lot more sense in like the 1960s and you know as the world becomes modernized everyone kind of the cultures kind of start blending together so not entirely accurate i don't think i would call it racist by any means but um it might not be as realistic uh, as i would like it to be i guess but again it's about celebrating differences and those differences are clear and i enjoy hearing the different versions of the small world song sung in all of the different languages I love this ride. Uh, I was terrified of it as a child. <laughs> Listeners of this podcast know I was a scared little kid. And It's a Small World was uh, one of those rides I did not want to go on. <laughs> but uh, obviously, I have semi-outgrown that now, and I've come to appreciate it for what it is. Oh, by the way, it's got the Sherman Brothers on it. So another Disney legend in the mix here. Easily advancing It's a Small World over Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, I think we brought it up uh in the round of 16 that I maybe you said it that you don't even think that Alice in Wonderland is the best Alice in Wonderland attraction on this list and I think when it goes head to head with it's a small world and just what small world did for the rest of the parks and the the way that we do boat rides like across theme park the theme park industry it's incredible and it's situated in a place that feels almost disconnected from fantasy land because it's Mm -hmm. so far set back but it's in its own place and it's so amazing just to look at the facade that really crump designed for it is so mid-century that it's silly but it still resonates now with fantasy it's this kind of like if kids were to make this attraction this is how it would look and I love that about it because it reflects what happens on the inside. Like, it's it's just such a great ride. Um, the song gets annoying, of course, um, but we can talk about that another uh, end of the next round because I'm also moving. It's a small world on past Alice in Wonderland. Taylor, I know you're a huge Alice fan, so I hope you're not too angry about it. I am a huge Alice fan. But It's a Small World is a whole nother beast, and I think I might be a bigger It's a Small World fan. Oh, wow. Woo! Wow. Uh, I will say this about Alice. If it does one thing right, it's just the flow of the ride. Alice in Wonderland, I don't love as a movie. It feels really disjointed and rushed at times, but that makes it a perfect dark ride because you try to tell a story like Pinocchio that's a little bit slow at times in like a minute and a half dark ride and it's extremely difficult it feels rushed but Alice in Wonderland is already so like zany and like whoa what is happening that it makes it a really perfect perfect dark ride uh, from a storytelling perspective so I will give it some credit 
But looks like we got It's a Small World moving on to the final four. So let's wrap this up and bring in our final, final four matchup. We have the Mad Tea Party versus Snow White Scary Adventure. I'm going to keep this short because I really only have one argument. The Mad Tea Party is two experiences in one. You go on during the day, it's a spin ride. You go on during nighttime, it's an entirely different world. And that's so amazing to me. At night, the ambiance completely flips from what it is during the day. During the day, it's in a place that's a little chaotic. It's next to the Matterhorn. You hear the screaming from the mountain. People are shuffling through to get to its small world. And the queue is not great over at Mad Tea Party. So you're during the day, it's just a spin ride. You're trying to make each other sick. At night, the lanterns are above you. The soft lighting is so pretty. The music kind of at the music during it's the same soundtrack, but during, at night it just hits different. It just hits different. Snow White's Scary Adventure, I like compared to the Mad Tea Party. It's a it's one of those rides that I say like you should go on, but I also say that about Mad Tea Party. But what I say about Mad Tea Party is that you should experience it during night and day because it's different, and I I think that holds true. Snow White's Scary like. It, it's terrifying. It's another dark ride. Is it I, to you? I already know you're gonna argue that it is the best dark ride. I don't know that it is. I think it's fairly simple, and it also doesn't tell the full story very well. The new one might, but this current version that we know, I don't think that it tells the story in full. I think that Mad Tea Party is just too. It's it's a it's just too much of a monster to not pass through. I'm passing on Mad Tea Party into the final four go ahead chris okay i was trying really hard not to interrupt you in so many different places <laughs> oh no first of all here's the thing about snow white and it not telling the story of snow white it's snow white's scary adventure it's not the story of snow white it's not supposed to tell the entire story of the movie it's supposed to just take you through that little part. It's like a little sequence in like the first third of the movie where she's running through the forest and she gets lost and she meets the queen for the first time. That's the point of the attraction. And this dark ride pulls that off so expertly with the soundtrack, with the lighting, with the really simple audio animatronics. It's got three incredible, incredible which jump scares every single time it gets me i've been on this ride many 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 times and i i like cannot wait for her to pop out mad tea party is just too simple it's just an experience you can get anywhere else i know what you're saying where, where there's a lot of different lighting and music elements and stuff at day and night and and that's really true and like dumbo it's better than any other flat top spinner that's out there but snow white it's in a league of its own in my opinion the one thing that I'm really scared about, though, is advancing Snow White too far, not really knowing what's coming next for it. They have said that they are going to make the attraction slightly less scary. I think it's fine the way it is. I don't think it's particularly scary at all. But I have a feeling that they're going to play up the dwarf elements and downplay some of the 
evil witch queen elements, which is really unfortunate because, like I said, I don't think the point of this ride is to tell the entire story of Snow White in 120 seconds. It's to take you through that little scary forest scene in real life. But I have a feeling they'll create kind of like a minor hi-ho scene at the beginning that takes up a lot of that dark forest space at the beginning of the ride. There's a really, really cool hi-ho scene on the Seven Dwarves Mine Train at Disney World, and I think they'll probably create something very similar for this ride. So I will say that the experience will probably be less special than it is now or has been up to this point. But we're doing this bracket based on what we know about the ride now, and I think with the experience that we're working with here, it exceeds everything that the Mad Tea Party offers. So I am advancing it to the final four, which means, Taylor, you're breaking a tie here. Who are we taking to the final four? Yeah. Hmm. Well, you guys know I love tea. <laughs> um, sure do. But the have you – I don't know if it's just my family, but the last time I rode Mad Tea Party, we're all pretty tall. And trying to fit us all into a teapot, they're they're small. It's not great. You know, you are literally on top of each other. But um, nighttime mad tea party is just like a whole nother experience. It's it's almost kind of romantic. It's like I just don't know. Yes, it It is. is. It's just so pretty and I don't know, I love the music. Snow White, that witch technology, the one where you know, you're seeing the witch, but then she changes. I think is really good. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, she turns around and she's an entirely different figure. Yes. That's so cool. And it's unique. Um, I do think they'll probably add, like, a mind train kind of a scene. So I agree with yeah. Chris. Um, but the refurb makes me scary because – or makes me scared – because I really hate the new screen technology they're adding to all the rides. I hate it so much. If I wanted to watch a screen, I'd just go home and watch my TV. And also, it hurts my eyes. And I don't know if it's because I've been like wearing the blue light glasses all the time. But now when I watch the screen technologies in the rides, it makes my eyes feel weird. And my it hurts a little bit. And... You know, I kind of feel like Snow White, she's out with an ankle injury right now. She's in her refurb. We can't really advance her on. She's an unknown. So I feel like we're going to, you know, let her heal. Maybe no. she'll maybe she'll come in for another no. ride bracket, but she's out with an injury. That's so not fair cuz we gave Kristoff the best prince title without having seen Frozen 2. Yeah, but I just don't like Snow White Scary Adventures as much as I'm obsessed with Mad Tea Party. Like, if I was going, and this is so funny because I didn't know this about our friendship, but now <laughs> listening to your arguments, I'm like, I do not want to go to Fantasyland with Chris. Like, he wants to ride all the boring <laughs> rides. <laughs> I was like, Kyle, let's go. <laughs> me and Kyle are Fantasyland compatible, and me and Chris oh are not. So far, we'll see if that holds true. <laughs> Chris, we have our final four set. Sure do. We got Peter Pan's Flight versus the Matterhorn on one side versus It's Small World versus the Mad Tea Party on the other side. This one should be really interesting 
And we cannot wait for next week when we get to crown our Fantasyland winner. So as Chris alluded, you're going to have to wait till next week until we crown the best Fantasyland attraction. We would love to thank Taylor for joining us this week yet again, uh, setting the time aside to uh, find out that you're not compatible with Chris and Fantasyland opinions. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I love being here. You guys know that. So if you want to get in touch with us, if you want to be a possible co-host, you can go ahead and email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us. We have a Discord that's going to be in the link of the description of this podcast. Please join it. It's so fun. Uh, we haven't yet added our tiki drinks and our uh, spoonful of sugar recipes yet, but you bet I'm going to add it this weekend. So you should join us. Find what we're drinking. Talk Disney. We break the news there. It's super fun. And for Chris, for Taylor, we are going to be signing off. We'll see you next week. Oh, I want to be like you. I'm doing you.